Welcome to Quotable, a female millennial entrepreneur podcast. The show by and for female millennial entrepreneurs who are building and running thriving, successful businesses while living life to the fullest. I'm your host, Alessandra Polina, owner of Quotable Media Co., a PR and media company. After nearly 10 years of building a PR agency, I've learned a lot about business and entrepreneurship, but the most valuable things have always come through conversation with other women who have been in it too, and I want to share all of that with you. So sit back, fill your coffee cup up, and listen in. I am so excited to be here today with Trisha Montalvo-Tim, who's the author of a brand new book, either just coming out or having just come out, depending on when this episode airs, called Embrace the Power of You, Owning Your Identity at Work. And Trisha is a first-generation Latina who has made it to the C-suite, the boardroom, and cracked the venture capital ceiling, all before writing this book, which... I assume is kind of a compilation or amalgamation of, of the life story and everything you've kind of been through and um, now talk about with other people. Right, Trisha? Uh, thank you so much for coming on, first of all. Um, and uh, yeah, I can't wait to hear more about this. Yeah, thank you, Alessandra. I'm so excited to be here. And I love how you said a compilation of sort of my life stories. And I, I think that's true. I think um, so many things I learned along the way and hopefully can share some of that with readers to help them on their journey. Yeah, I think I, I think I saw like um the phrasing like a business memoir or something like that, which I was like, that that sounds right up our alley. Like I've never yes. heard that term before, but how awesome. Yes, it, it is. I talk a lot about my stories of being a first generation professional in the workplace as well as being a working mom in the workplace. Um, I started my career about um, over 25 years ago. So the workplace looked very different. And so there were a lot of different challenges that I had overcome and, 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 you know, learned a lot along the way. So it's um, a lot of personal stories as well as some of the things and strategies and tips I learned along the way. Yeah. I love that. And I feel like just the embrace, the power of you, it like, it sounds sort of like, a, a, a basic concept, but also something that I feel like we all know can be more of a struggle than you than you think or than we think it should be. <laughs> so I feel like it's just like such a I don't know. I just love the whole the name of it. I love the whole concept. Um, and I think it's something we can all use, but which I, and I want to dive into all of that a lot more. Mm -hmm. But first, I mean, just back up a little. Let's take us through a little bit of like your story the journey that brought you to I guess the place where you were like I should write a book maybe, maybe let's like <laughs> oh go up God. to there and then we can dive into that more yes oh I never ever imagined I would write a book so yes it's an interesting story um well let me start way back um I my parents um, are immigrants to this country. My mother is from El Salvador and my father is from Ecuador. I grew up in Los Angeles, um, born, or I was born in Los Angeles. Uh, and when I started elementary school, my parents um, decided to move us out into the suburbs um, because they really wanted a better life for me. They wanted to give me a better education. They wanted, um, you know, really the American dream for us. And so we moved um, into a predominantly white community and in, and I was fortunate that they put education um, as a priority in our family and um, enrolled me in a Catholic school. So um, education was a real, um, uh, you know, blessing for me. Uh, from there, I went off to college um, and then law school and I went to Santa Clara and studied law. I thought that I would go into international law, um, mostly because I really had no clue what lawyers did. Um, I didn't know. I didn't know any lawyers. I didn't know, you know, but, you know, back in the day, the only thing I knew about lawyering was um, Ally McBeal from the 90s. Uh, so um, I thought I could use my language. I was bilingual um, to maybe do international law. Uh, so I, I did an international study abroad program in college, um, which introduced me to high tech law. And mm. so from there, I um, was fortunate to get an internship at a law firm, started my career in a corporate law firm, learned about corporate securities and public company and high tech and M&A and venture capital and all of these amazing things I never knew before. Um, and had a wonderful career working with companies, both big and small. Uh, I've worked with um, a number of different startups from 
you know, small, tiny startups to, you know, mid-stage to late stage, and then large public companies, global multinational companies, and um, and really have had a fantastic career working um, in scaling companies. And a couple of years ago, my last job was as general counsel of a data analytics company called Looker, which we sold to Google um, in a really great transaction. And uh, from there, I decided, you know, I'd been practicing law for 25 years and I thought, you know, what next? Um, I sort of reached that point in my career of sort of looking for purpose and impact. And um, and one of the things I noticed um, was there was a, a few Latinas in leadership positions really everywhere. We're really underrepresented in the C-suite, in boardrooms, um, in venture capital, um, in funding on Latina entrepreneurs. Um, and so I thought I could use some of my network and um, um, and experience uh, to add value in those spaces. And so now I have a portfolio career where I sit on a corporate board of a company called Salsify. Um, I am an angel investor and I invest um, particularly in female entrepreneurs and um, female women of color entrepreneurs, um, which are the least funded and sit on a couple nonprofit boards. And in my spare time, I wrote this book, mm-hmm. uh, which has, uh, you know, a lot of my personal stories of struggle to get to where I am today. Wow. That is a pretty incredible story. Like <laughs> that that sounds so cool. So um I mean cool in like what you do now. Like I love the idea of of now being able to like take part in all of these different companies and help fund these underfunded companies. Like yeah. It sounds really amazing. So do you have any is there anything you can share with us in terms of like um some of the some of the companies that you guys what's it called salsify that is the company that you do it through <laughs> the board that is the board yeah, of salsify so i sit on the board of salsify so i'm okay. on the board of directors um and salsify is a commerce management platform so what they do is they have technology that connects retailers and distributors um and basically um help them with their digital shelf and so they um technology that allows um, them to seamlessly uh, create product content to go on all platforms. So like a Coca-Cola and product descriptions, for example, getting it across all of the different distributors and retailers and platforms, you can do it seamlessly on on one you know uh, software program. Um, but from my angel investing side, I'm a limited partner in a couple of different funds. How Women Lead is one of the funds and um, they solely invest in female entrepreneurs. Um, another fund is 2045 Ventures, um, and they look to invest in underrepresented um, founders uh, and look at a number of different industries um, within their fund. And then I'm an angel investor in a couple of different companies. Um, one of them is called Village, which is um, creating some great technology in future of work, which is sort of nudge technology to help create a more be- a space of belonging. Um, and that is by a founder named Debbie Agadari and another female entrepreneur um, started a business um, called Lilu, and they've got um, a breast um, massage technology to allow uh, to help women that are um, having um, challenges in their milk flow to create sort of hands-free massage mm-hmm. technology. And so, um, I just love supporting women entrepreneurs. They're some of the hardest working women out there with. Yes. some of the most innovative ideas and, um, you know, overlooked often. So, uh, um, I love supporting them. Cool. Yeah, no, I love that. Thank you for going into a little more detail there. I feel like the, um, our audience is, I feel like, you know, some of our audience is people who either would like to become angel investors or are kind of like exploring that path. And obviously a lot of our listeners are also, founders who are, you know, maybe just getting started or looking to grow in like grow more in the next couple of years and are always looking for those opportunities to maybe get in front of the the kind of people who are looking for that to to take part in that kind of funding. So very cool there. Um, And yeah, I love that you do that. So I want to dive a little bit into 
yeah, like tell us about what the book, where the book came from and yes. <laughs> where some of those ideas come from. And, and then we can maybe go into a little more detail about like how, how we can use the ideas that you talk about. Yeah. So the book, it start actually, it starts off with a story in the book um, that I think is the sort of the pivotal moment where I realized I needed to tell my story. Um, one of the things that I, that I didn't mention in my intro was I kind of touched on, um, you know, I was, my family is um, Latino, you know, we're Latinos and, um, and, you know, moving into a predominantly white community, my parents um, wanted me to fit in. Um, they had faced a lot of discrimination themselves and they wanted things to be easier for me. And so they really encouraged me to assimilate, blend in um, as quickly as possible. They knew that I could pass as white. And so, you know, out of love, they really sort of said, this will be, this will open doors for you. And so I learned that in an early, in an early age to try to, to blend in. And, you know, in some ways they were right. In some ways it did definitely, I think, make things easier for me. Um, but over a period of time and decades, when you sort of downplay or hide who you are, um, it takes a toll. It takes a toll emotionally. Um, and it's a disservice um, to those in your organization to um, and to really our society as a whole, because you're not really bringing your whole identity into the workplace. And it took me a long time to realize I was even doing this. I, because I had started at such a young age, um, I didn't even notice I was you know, there's a term called code switching, sort of changing who I am, going back and forth from my personal life to my professional life. And um, and so um, there was this moment at my last company, Looker, where um, I had decided to start a DEI program, which DEI at the time was start, kind of just starting. And for those um, unfamiliar, it's diversity, equity and inclusion programs. And, um, but mostly because I wanted to help working moms. Um, that was identity I fully embraced. That's something you can't really hide too much. And, um, but in that journey of helping working moms and um, I, my eyes opened to other underrepresented um, communities within the organization. And my Latinx group asked me to, tell my story for National Hispanic Heritage Month. Um, they said, you know, tell us your story, where you came from, your family. And I never had told my story really publicly, like really even to friends, like I just something I never talked about. And so with a lot of hesitation, I said, okay. And I went up there with a lot of fear because I had built up so much fear that People would start looking down on me from where I came from, that I um, would be looked at in a different light. And the fear was genuine. I mean, I had been in spaces where there were a lot of derogatory comments about Latinos and, you know, the border and the wall and affirmative mm. action programs and all of these different things that I, you know, sat and listened. Um, there was real fear there. So I went ahead and I did this story. I told my story in front of hundreds of people. And the reaction following the story was phenomenal. Um, you know, people were glued to the, you know, their seats. No one was checking their phones. Mm -hmm. um, and there were tears, uh, lots, you know, from people that had similar life stories, um, particularly from the Latinx um, employees um, that could really resonate and realize that they were not alone in feeling the way they were feeling. Um, and in that moment, I realized I have a story to tell. My experience is unique. Um, I didn't know I was going to write a book, but it gave me the courage to keep telling my story. And along that journey um, brought me to, um, you know, to get connected with um, some great people that, that helped me write this book. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, what, did, and what did that process look like once you kind of connected with the people who helped you write the book? Like how long did it take to put it together and what has that pro process been like kind of behind the scenes of, of actually creating a book, especially one that's 
it sounds like, you know, very kind of personal, but also something that you're putting out there in order to help a lot of other people. So it's like kind of personal to you, but also like going to be personal to other people too. That's a great question, Alessandra. Um, It, well, it took about two years from start to finish from writing, editing, publishing. Um, And, but what I'll say to answer your question is that it, the first draft, my developmental editor calls it the healing draft, especially mm-hmm. if you're writing something personal. Um, and it truly was healing because um, I really looked at my life and the different crucibles that, you know, showed up. And, you know, it's like you have to sort of face all of those things and how you overcame them and what it felt like. And so there were tears. There were um there were a lot of tears while I I wrote that that first draft and 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 even moments at the end when um you know actually we had a great exercise I have this fantastic developmental editor her name is AJ Harper and um in one of her workshops uh she does this exercise with her authors that asks us to think about the worst review you could ever get like think about just the worst review. Like what could people say about your book that would just be devastating? And as I did this exercise, what came up for me were, um, you know, things like, you know, she's a fraud. She's, you know, leveraging the diversity movement for her advantage. And, you know, things like that, which were just brought me to tears um, because of the fear that I had to tell my story. Um, it was a, a real healing moment to address it and you address it head on in the book, um, which actually d- makes the fear go away because you, you've kind of outed it, um, which goes back to being your authentic self. Like once you are there and you be, and you show who you really are, there's the fear sort of dissipates over time. Yeah. Wow. I mean, yeah, that sounds like a really powerful experience. Um, and I can definitely see where those fears would come in like that's a lot to put out there into a book like literally the topic is about like essentially these insecurities that you've had to to deal with throughout your whole life or the ways that you're coming to terms with different different things that have really affected you Mm -hmm. um but i'm sure it helps that you know the whole idea is hey i want to help other people work through these things and Mm -hmm. be able to address them and be able to find the positives here. And I feel like, you know, as someone who, I mean, I'm, I'm a working mom, but that's probably the only group that I belong to in terms of what you talked about, not, you know, being a a minority in any, in any way. Um, I still felt like the title of the book itself still feels really relevant and important to even someone like me. And I'm like, I feel like we should all be reading this book. Um, And I'm sure that helps to a certain extent, knowing that it is going to be really powerful and helpful to everyone who reads it. And it's important to get those, get that information and those stories out there. Yeah. And Alexandra, you know, being a working mom in a predominantly male dominated spaces is incredibly hard. Um, And I talk about that, you know, we as women, you know, feel like we have to be better. We have to show up perfectly. We have to get it right. We don't want to be seen as, oh, putting our family over our career. And um, there are many stories I share in the book about how I hid being a working mother um, when when my kids were born, when they were babies. I was just at the point in my career, as many women are, um, where your career starts, you know, taking off. You start getting promoted. You start really shining. And then all of a sudden, you know, you, you're starting a family and there's fear around Will people think I'm not dedicated enough? Will people, you know, give those stretch projects to my male colleague? And so I showed up in the workplace, really, um, I called the chapter of my invisible family. Um, I didn't talk about them. I, um, when my baby was born, she wouldn't take the bottle. I didn't want to um, out that in front of my male. I didn't have any women in leadership. So I didn't, I felt very lonely. Um, so I'd have my my husband bring the baby to the garage and I would nurse her secretly in the garage. So I didn't have to really be public 
about, you know, having this baby that I'm nursing every three hours. So, um, so yeah, you know, I want to just say that being a working mother is um, incredibly um, challenging. And now in, you know, with Zoom, you know, worlds and um, multitasking and, um, there's just so much um, on us uh, to be perfect. So um, I just wanted to make that point. Yeah, no, that's a, I mean, that's a great point. And I definitely don't mean to downplay any of any of that either. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's a lot. <laughs> it's tough. I do feel like in the time that we've started, you know, everyone's being more at home and everything's more on Zoom and things like that. You're like, people have gotten a lot more used to like, seeing kids in the background and like knowing that you've got things going on at home. I feel like people have been a lot more like open to that in just the last couple of years. But even before that, like even for me as someone who has owned my own business, I definitely would. I was always very careful to never say like, oh, I'm, you know, whatever, like not going to be able to make that a call at that time because that's when I'm, you know, go to pick up my son or something like that. I never wanted to make it seem like I'm going to be giving less time to you guys because of my family. Um, even though I knew it was never actually giving less time to them, I would always, you know, first of all, I mean, I, moms are so productive. Like I, I know, feel like I know, right? <laughs> you have a baby, you're like, wait a minute, I can actually get all of this done in a fraction of the time that I used to, or that anyone else takes to get it done. So that's yeah. what I'm mentioning. Um, <laughs> but yeah, even just those great. things, like just being like, yeah, I guess it's, it's the fear, right. Of like not wanting to make it seem like that's affecting your work or your, your work life, which obviously it does affect it, but not necessarily in a, not in a negative way. Um, right. But yeah. And, um, and I think that one of the important pieces, um, now that I sort of got on the other side of it and, and, I'm a, a, you know, was in a leadership role was, you know, when I was a young person, I really desperately wanted to see women that were living the life I wanted to live where they were, you know, balancing and and I would, I, and I could see what a successful working mom looked like. And so when I didn't see it, it was hard to imagine how to do it. And Mm -hmm. so as when I'm on the other side of it now as a leader, um, one of the things I was very intentional about was being very visible as a working mom Um, So that others, not only women in the workplace, but men in the workplace could see it. Um, So I, you know, when in my younger years, I would not talk about, you know, going to the doctor's appointment for my child. Later in my career, I was very vocal about I'm leaving at three o'clock for my daughter's volleyball game, you know, or I can't, you know, I'm going to have to come in late because I've got the, you know, the, the play in the morning or, you know, because it, you know, we are not one dimensional people. We are multidimensional. And you made a great point, Alessandra, about Zoom really starting to show those dimensions of people. And so it's way more accepted now than it was. And that's really helping. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a great point that like once you're kind of, I mean, not that I think anybody should ever have to hide it or feel like they're hiding any part of themselves at work. Of course, I, you know, and as like a leader at my very small company, I try to be really vocal about that too. Like I want people to bring their whole selves to work, of course. But also as you kind of, I feel like kind of what one of the things you're touching on is like once you've kind of gotten to a level where for whatever reason, you're able to kind of get past that to a certain extent, whether it's just, you know, your own mindset, or if it's, you know, there really was some pushback in the workplace, or you Mm -hmm. felt like you didn't have that flexibility as much. But then you reach a level where you really can, you know, make your own schedule or make the rules to a certain extent, or whatever that is, like being able to like, actually, consciously bringing that and bringing that up and showing that to everybody or to the people that it matters to, as far as you're concerned, is important to show like, yes, I, I am. And then I feel like I've kind of gone the same way. Now I'm like, you know what, my working hours, I I end at three because I go to pick my son up at school. And like, it's important to me to be the person who Mm -hmm. does that. And that doesn't mean any work is not going to get done. My team is going to take care of things between three and five. 
And if something needs me, like I still will hop on at night. Like I'm not like, I'm not, my boundaries are not that good yet, but, (laughs) but like being open about that now, because I do want my, I want my team, you know, the younger women on my team, especially, um, and the other moms on my team, mom, there's only one other mom, um, right now, but if there ever is, you know, I want them to know that, that that's valued. We value that as much as anything else. And I totally trust people to get their job done and also take care of their family. And like, that's not like something that I want people to feel like they have to hide at all. But I do, I think like being able to model that is mm-hmm. like almost feels like something we owe the other, the younger, younger women now at this point. Yes. yes. Oh, yeah. And I think that, you know, I have a, I have a teenage da- daughter too, actually 19 and 16. And I, I feel like they're doing a better job. <laughs> I think mm-hmm. they, they saw us maybe struggle a little bit, but um, I think they, they do a little bit better or in the, and, and maybe it's post COVID too. You know, there's a, all of us went through this period of, you know, really examining life and and where you get your joy and and what matters. And mm-hmm. um, and I think in addition to um, parenting, um, just you know, what else do you enjoy doing? You know, there are a lot of um, people that either you know their parent their kids are out of the house or they choose not to have children. And there are different again multidimensional. There are different aspects of our lives. Um, that are important. You know, we, if people want to do yoga and meditate, go hike, bike, um, all of those things as, you know, I'm sure you've probably had shows on mental health. Like it is so important to keep those aspects of your life nurtured. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think, you know, not hiding them, um, I think is an important thing to model as well. That's true. I think that's a really good point. And it's not like we want to say, you know, it's only if you have children that there's something else in your life that is, you know, equally as important as work or even more important to you than work. And we want to, yeah, I think it's important to be able to bring your whole self to work um, and to, you know, to any part of your team, any teams that you're a part of. Um, Because yeah, it's not necessarily family. And obviously it's not like we expect anybody who doesn't have kids to, not have other things that are important to them and not that we don't want to like hear about them and be a part of them. What are, um, I mean, I guess, yeah, going into more of like the things in the book, like the things you actually talk about, um, like, are there other specific examples or, or things in terms of like, when it comes to bringing the real you to work, um, and, and embracing the, yes. the view, like what are some of those other things you talk about and how are there, I guess I I'm, I'm almost curious if there's ways we can kind of say like, especially as, you know, I think it's something we all bring to work, whether we're an employee, an employer, a leader, you know, entry level. Um, but also specifically for my listeners, I think a lot of us would be curious, A, how we can make sure we're bringing Mm-hmm. all of ourselves to our work as, you know, business owners and potential leaders, but also um, how we can make sure that our teams are feeling like they're able to bring, you know, embrace their full self at work if they're working for us. Cause I know, you know, a lot of, I think everyone who listens to this show, like wants to be that kind of leader. Yes. Yeah. So the, yeah, two, two different approaches, you know, there's the, the reader or the person, um, who is on their journey. And I, and the core message to my book is that um, belonging begins with self-acceptance. And the book is really the reader. The ideal reader for the book is somebody who, you know, may feel like an other in the workplace for some reason, uh, maybe hiding or downplaying a piece of their identity and may not realize that bringing their authentic self um, is their path to success. Um, But in it, I also, at the end of each chapter, also have manager strategies mm. for the manager or the leader um, who wants to create an inclusive workplace. Um, and the goal of the book, because there are a lot of stories, not only my own personal stories, but stories of other people and other executives, um, the hope is that it creates um, some empathy of seeing kind of, you know, seeing a things from a different perspective. Um, and then strategies on how do you create environments that might um, welcome people that may be struggling to bring their authentic selves to work. So the book is really hopefully a tool for both those that are on the journey to self-acceptance as well as managers that are trying to um, create inclusive environments. Um, So with respect to the reader, um, and you ask like, you know, what, what can they look for? I would say, like I mentioned, it's a journey and it starts with really recognizing, 
um, maybe why you might be hiding something about yourself. Um, you know, in my case, um, being a working mom was because I hid that because I didn't see anyone around me that I didn't have any women in leadership. I didn't know what that looked like. Um, I sat in spaces where um, I heard men make comments um, about women who went out on maternity leave or, you know, um, that they weren't, you know, cutting it or things like that. So um, I had real fears there. I mentioned the fears about being a Latina or a person of color. And so recognizing what, it, and, and it can be anything, right? You could be um, adopted. You could be from a divorced family. You could have been bullied in, um, in middle school. You could have a learning disability. You could have a mental health issue. There are so many ways um, and things about our background and our life that we feel othered in the workplace because it's not what the maybe the dominant situation around you is. And so just really going through that self-reflection, I have a lot of moments of self-reflection in the book of just thinking about what, what are the things I'm really not talking about um, because I'm embarrassed, I have fears, I'm scared. Um, and once you sort of start recognizing what those are, um, giving yourself a little grace um, and, and realizing that we're, you're not alone, that we all do this. Um, one statistic I found uh, astonishing was um, in, with respect to Latinas uh, or Latinos, both men and women, 76% of Latinos hide or downplay their ethnicity in the workplace. Hmm. Um, so it is a large amount of people. Uh, and I imagine it's similar in a lot of different other aspects. So, um, and so, you know, and, and giving tips and strategies for um, recognizing maybe you're in an environment where you might not be welcomed. Um, it's not always going to be rainbows and unicorns in your workplace and, you know, recognizing, is this a safe place? Um, and if it's not a safe place, can I make a transition now or not? Um, if I can't, for example, I was a sole breadwinner for a while. I couldn't change my workplace for a while. Um, putting a plan together and a path on how you might um, pivot your career to a place that's more welcoming. Uh, and, um, and then really uh, learning strategies about managing negative self-talk. A lot of us, you know, have a lot of negative self-talk of, um, you know, uh, really beating ourselves up and how do we, you know, how do we manage, you know, when that shows up. And finally, I'll say um, finding your people, finding that community of people, whether it's mentors or sponsors or family members or friends that really lift you up when you hit those roadblocks or challenges. Um, you really need a community, external organizations of your um, lived experience and identities. Like for me, it was women's organizations and Latinx organizations, um, you know, that will um, lift you up when you might feel very alone. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And you say that like once you've once you're celebrating your true self, it really helps you shine at home and in the workplace. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, that sounds like uh, it's, it seems like that in itself is like, oh yeah, like obviously I want to do that. <laughs> like I want yeah. to shine. Well, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it takes a while. I mean, I actually say um, one of the strategies is that small steps repeated often, because if you, if you have, downplayed or hit something about yourself for a long time, um, you've built up a ton of armor and it takes a long time to bring that armor down. And so I think that's an important point of it's not going to happen, you know, tomorrow, Just, you, know, it, it, you know, a listener today might not, they may recognize they might be hiding something, but they won't be able to tomorrow just go, okay, here it is. The thing I've been hiding this 20 years or, you know, like, it's it's a real journey and it's just small steps, little reveals, um, you know, little by little. I revealed little by little to safe spaces. It gave me confidence and courage to reveal more, you know, up until I got to that point where I could tell my story at my company. And you feel like it helps you shine just because like whenever you're feel like when you're feeling confident and comfortable with like who you are, not feeling like you're holding back, that yeah, just yeah that just helps you open up and like connect with people in a different way kind of. Yes. And I know you have a lot of um, entrepreneurs on your podcast. I'll tell you, you know, 
when, especially like listening to pitches um, on the venture capital side, you know, when someone is really authentic and when someone's not right, when someone's just trying to tell you what they think you want to hear versus somebody who is super passionate, super authentic, you know, might be a little messy, you know, like just like telling their true story and where it comes from the heart. Um, you know, a lot of times what venture capitalists are looking for is that person that's just got that desire, that passion, because starting businesses, as you know, it takes a lot of work and a lot of resilience and you've got to really have your whole heart into it. And so, um, you know, I think showing that piece of you is really important. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, um, people can really tell, even if they can't really tell, like not necessarily know you're hiding something, but it's like, and not that it's necessarily even hiding something per se, but people can tell when they're not able to connect with you quite as strongly. And when you are being your true, full, authentic self, it's like people really do absorb that and feel that. I feel like, I mean, my, my main, my, my company is a PR agency. So we, I feel like we see that a lot. Like I say, not even in those same words. And actually, I feel like I should get like this book for everybody I work with, <laughs> but yeah. it's kind of this, I say something along, you know, similar lines in terms of if there's any piece of you, that's not feeling totally confident and comfortable with sharing, not, not that you need to go to everything you're kind of like pitching from a media standpoint. Yeah you don't need to tell them your whole story about everything all the time. Like that's not always the point, but if you're holding something back, even if it's just like internally that like you are not feeling fully confident in your true self, that does come through in a way. And it it just makes, it's kind of, as you said, like people really want to connect with someone where they feel they can feel your whole vibe and like feel that you're really in it and that you really are passionate for what you're doing and that you're just 100 100% there and yes. I feel like even on like the side of things that I'm that when I'm working with clients it's like I might not even know what it is because if they're not telling me like yeah. <laughs> then, I, then I don't know but media can tell like if you're not fully 100% there or if you're not fully you know they they really do connect better and stronger with someone who really is, you know, clearly being true to themselves or, or sharing their full self with whatever the story is. Mm -hmm. And I think that draws people in, in just like a different way. It does. Um, exactly what you said, it creates connection. I think that connection is what we all look for. And, um, and when you can connect with someone at that level, um, it's, it, it builds a relationship, but also I think, you know, it's really important. Um, you know, a lot of the work I do also is in is in creating spaces of belonging. And if we can create spaces where people do feel comfortable bringing their whole selves and telling parts of their stories, um, we start learning about each other, um, and our differences and realize, oh, we're a lot the same than we are different. And some of the unconscious biases we might have might, you know, start um, fading away because we didn't understand, you know, what the challenges or the things a, a colleague that, you know, you might've known for years, you might've not known their story. And so I think the workplace is a great place. Um, there tends to be more diversity there than, and so sometimes our social circles tend to a look and be a lot like us, but in the workplace, we tend to have an opportunity to meet people from different backgrounds and identities and interests. Um, and that just helps widen our scope of understanding humanity and, um, brings us a lot closer together. Yeah. So true. I love it. Um, is there, well, I've got to ask actually kind of not to shift gears, but I'm just super curious. Have your daughters read your book? <laughs> That's a great question. So no, not yet, <laughs> but they promise they will. Um, my... Oh yeah, at the time of this recording, I should say, at the time of this recording, it hasn't it hasn't actually oh, yeah. uh, released yeah. yet. But I assume you have yeah. have seen copies. Yeah, they they each have a copy. My nineteen okay. year old is um, she's actually dyslexic, and so you know when I when I was telling her when my book was going to get published, the first thing she said to me was. Oh, great, mom. I can't wait to listen to it. Hmm. And that actually gave me an aha moment. I it was my blind spot, which was, oh my God, my I need to have the audiobook out the same day as my paperback is out. Yeah. Um, for all those that consume 
books by audio. Um, so I am pushing hard and and on track to get the audio out the same day. And, and that's when she will listen to the book. And uh, my younger daughter is a junior in high school in the midst of AP exams and SAT and <laughs> can't read another book right now and promises to do it this summer. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I love it. Yeah. Like, all right. Later, mom. Like we can yeah, read that later. <laughs> no big deal. <laughs> oh, but you know, I have a great story to share with you about them because our, our kids can be some of our greatest teachers. So during zoom world, um, you know, we were all in the same space on zoom, all of us. Right. And, um, they would, um, hear me, uh, I do a lot of mentoring and they would hear me mentoring, um, people about being their authentic selves as we're talking about today, um, all day long for months. And in the same time I was looking to be, uh, I wanted to be a board director. And one of the things that I did in my career to try to be more mainstream and blend in, um, I have naturally kind of curly frizzy hair. Um, I would straighten it. And so I would straighten it and blow dry it. And I, you know, in my mind, sort of straight hair meant more professional. Um, and, and even though my curly hair is more me, I thought that was really the way I just, in my mind, that was more professional. Mm -hmm. I had changed that about myself during my work and I had gone more natural with my natural curls until this moment during zoom where I started looking for board seats and I had to take a headshot Hmm. And I was like at dinner time and I was telling my girls about how I'm going to do a head, you know, photo shoot the next day and how I had an appointment to straighten my hair before the photo shoot. And they said to me, mom, you have been, I've been listening to you on zoom this last year, telling everyone to be their authentic selves. Why are you straightening your hair when your authentic self is curly hair? <laughs> and I just was like, I don't know. Like all, I didn't even realize I was doing it. I really didn't. I didn't realize I was defaulting back to sort of the things I did to blend in. And, and I was like, I just feel like I won't be accepted with my straight hair in a boardroom. Um, but I took their advice. I went with my curly hair and I was so happy I did because it's, um, you know, it's who I am and how I show up. So they, they taught me, they, 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 they lectured me right back. They're always <laughs> listening, right? Yeah. yeah. They're always listening. I love that. Yeah. Um, is there anything, um, kind of along those lines, I guess, anything like as like one little tip that you, any way to start, like if someone's like, okay, I'm not sure, like if I am holding back or if I am embracing the power of me, like, is there one thing you say that you would say people should think about, or I don't know, any little like, um, activity or that's not the word I'm looking for, yeah. <laughs> but little like tip or thing you yeah. can do to be aware. You know, I, I think it's a lot of just, um, self-reflection, you know, notice, uh, about yourself, um, where do you feel most comfortable? You know, what places, what people, what environments? Um, you know, one thing that I noticed was I just last year, I went to um, a conference um, for, it was a Latina conference and it was about 800 Latinas in one room. I had never been in a room full of Latinas that and, and everyone around there looked like me and told stories like me. And just in my body, I was like, oh, gosh, I feel comfortable in this space. Um, same when I was in a women's organization and we were all women in one space um, versus when I'm in a space which I'm no normally accustomed to in the high tech. I was normally the only woman or one of few in in males, you know, rooms. Um, and I notice I'm a little bit more guarded. I'm a little bit more you know, um, I've got to be a certain way. And, and so I think just noticing about yourself, like, how are you showing up? What spaces are you comfortable in a little bit more guarded in, um, you know, who are the people, you know, finding your true friends, you know, I think, um, who are the people that will love you no matter what judgment free, where you can just be yourself, talk about the mistakes. We, we all make mistakes and, um, you know, and being, um, around those people that will that will care for you no matter what. Um, so I think it's just a lot of that journey of self-reflection of 
you know, where do I feel most comfortable and how can I bring that into my life more um, intentionally? Yeah, that's exactly what I was just going to say, like be a little more intentional with how you're creating these spaces yeah. or experiences for yourself. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Well, um, any last word of advice that you'd want to share with either entrepreneurs kind of in general or, or with people who are, you know, maybe want to read the book or, you know, the people you speak to in the book? Um, I think we just spent a lot of time talking about belonging and self-acceptance. So I'll switch gears a little bit to um, advice for um, women entrepreneurs and women professionals. You know, one thing I wish I knew at the beginning of my career was the importance of building authentic relationships. Um, mm -hmm. Networking is the more business term, but I think authentic relationships is, is a better term. Um, you know, growing up, I was told, you know, work hard, keep your head down, you know, um, that's sort of the way the ticket to, you know, the top. And while working hard is obviously very important, um, building relationships uh, is equally as important. Um, every opportunity I've received in my career has been a result of a prior relationship, whether it was um, a referral from an old boss or a former colleague, a client, even a mentee, someone I mentored you know, 10 years later um, brought me in to, um, you know, be a consultant at their company. And so, you know, building those relationships authentically, nurturing them along the way. And an important piece of that is um, it, it, when you're building those relationships, it's not about what people can do for you. It's what you can do for them. You know, if you are giving along the way, seeing how you can help, others in your network, all of that's going to come back to you in spades. So um, I think I wish I had learned that earlier um, in my career. I love that. Yes. So true. Um, amazing. Okay. Well, will you tell people how they can buy the book once I think this will be going up right around when the book is coming out? So how can they find the book? And also how can they connect with you more if they want to after hearing this? Yes. Uh, yeah, my book launches March 7th. Uh, you can find more about me at trishatim.com. That's T-R-I-C-I-A-T-I-M-M.com. Um, you can find me on Instagram at P Montalvo Tim, um, and on LinkedIn at P Tim. Um, I tend to, uh, spend a lot of time on LinkedIn since, um, I'm in the workplace and, and work a lot with uh, professionals. Um, but my daughter's trying to get me more on Instagram. So I'm, I'm doing my best there. Hang, hang with me there, <laughs> uh, but join my newsletter. I'm trying to provide a lots of um, you know, tips and strategies and resources on, on my newsletter, which you can sign up for at my website. Okay. Awesome. Amazing. We will do that. I'll connect with you on LinkedIn and Instagram. I'm trying, I'm more on Instagram, but try to do better. I try to do more on LinkedIn, but yeah. <laughs> I'm not like there every day. So it's, it's different. You can give me some tips for Instagram. <laughs> okay. yeah. Definitely. We'll find you there. Thank you so, so much. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. I hope everyone goes to buy your book and I, I hope you, <clears throat> I just wish you the best of luck as it launches. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this show, please subscribe to Quotable, a female millennial entrepreneur podcast, wherever you listen. So you won't miss the next episode and leave a review on iTunes. So other people will be able to find us easily. Also, don't be shy to get in touch with me or anyone you've heard on the show. We're all about connecting and our Instagram handles and contact links are always in the show notes or online at quotablemediaco.com slash podcast. If you want to join the community of other female millennial entrepreneurs, join our Facebook group by searching female millennial entrepreneurs on Facebook. Talk to you soon and see you there.